course. Good morning and welcome everyone to a very special episode of the We The Scenario podcast. I'm your host, Maggie B, and I'm so excited to introduce today's guest. Her accomplishments are endless. She's a candidate for California's 18th Assembly District, an elected school board member, and is the CEO of Oakland Promise. And I'm your host, Tony Siona. I can't wait to get this interview started. Our guest today specializes in youth development, education, philanthropy, and college access, just to name a few. So let's get into it. Please join us in welcoming the very special guest for today, Miss Mia Bonta. Please, snaps up, y'all. Love it, love it. It's awesome to be with you all. Yes, we live there. Love it, I love it. Thank you for taking the time out to be with us. So just to get started, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, what you do, and what inspired you to join us on today's show. Uh, I'm Mia Bonta. I've been in the Bay Area from for about 20, 22 years, but I started out in New York City, grew up New Yorkian in, uh, in raised by parents who were activists, a part of the Young Lords Party. So while we were all fighting for uh, for the same kinds of things that we're fighting for today, police accountability, healthcare rights, uh, economic, economic rights, education rights, uh, my parents were doing that in in New York City and Chicago and decided to raise me up to be an activist through service. And I've had the benefit of being able to just uh, be raised by a strong black Latina woman who knew the power of work, knew the power of, of education. And I dedicated my life to supporting our, supporting children and youth in education. It's been what I decided to do when I was 13 years old. So those early dreams, they stick keep with them and uh, and I've been able to now run Oakland Promise after running several different other nonprofits in the Bay Area in Oakland. Uh, I had a nonprofit that I set up in West Oakland that was um, supporting kids uh, for early learning and in early child care, uh, which was a joy. And now I get to run Oakland Promise, which is another joy. And, uh, and I'm running for state assembly. I serve also on the school board in Alameda. So I'm oh. president of the Alameda Unified School District School Board uh, for about 10,000 across the bay. And, um, uh, and now we have this great opportunity with the California State Attorney General, Rob Bonta, who is, yes, my husband, um, taking on that seat, this uh, have this opening of the state assembly seat for the AD18 representing Oakland, Alameda, and San Leandro, and wanted to put my 25 years of working with youth, working with community to good work so that we can make sure to have a strong voice who knows about what we need uh, represented in the California State Legislature. Wow. So chasing your husband you might take over him soon um considering you grew up on the east coast and now you got the west he's been chasing me what you talking about tony oh yeah okay okay snap 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 let's get that right let's get that right rob (laughs) but uh considering you grew up in the east coast what was that like for you going through middle school and high school becoming an activist at such a young age you know it was it was it, it felt a, little, a lot like Oakland. Um, I grew up in the Bronx. I had to move a lot. I moved 13 times in 16 years, um, largely around the Bronx. I lived in every single borough except Staten Island. And, um, and I got to see everything that we see right now. Got to walk by too many uh, memorials, walk by too many people who were struggling with addiction, got to walk by too many of my family members. I have 111 cousins. I'm the only cousin who was able to go on to um, go on to college of, of all my cousins. And, and I know what it's like to be struggling a little bit. And all that, all that struggle really turns into, if you're able to, to turn it, it can turn into power. And got hooked up very early on with a group of other students who cared deeply about community. Um, and started to think about all the things that we wanted to change. Uh, was able to convert that when I went to college. I went to college at Yale in Connecticut. Um, uh, I worked. Um, I worked four jobs. Uh, was on full financial aid, um, and still graduated with one hundred and fifty-four thousand dollars of student loan debt uh, in doing that. But while I was a student and uh, in high school and then in college, a lot of what I was focused on was like 
what do we need to change and, and why isn't it changing? And looking at the adults in our system and thinking about why they weren't, um, they weren't working hard enough or fast enough uh, for us to be able to really experience the kind of change that we need. So, um, so that's why I love Oakland. I love, uh, I love this district because I see particularly the youth right now, um, so many inspiring young people who are just quite frankly leading the way. They're, they're the ones uh, that we're all chasing after and they are running laps around us uh, in ways that we are is that are undeniable and that we really need to be able to attend to and um, and I get so much energy from that and 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 seeing them succeed and and just trying to hang on and make sure that I can do right by so many of the youth that I see stepping up for us right now. Awesome. So getting more into youth development work, how did you get into the youth development field and working with young people? I, when I was in college, I was graduating and I didn't have a job, but I had a summer job. And the summer job was working for an organization called Leap Leadership Education and Athletics in Partnership. And uh, it paired college students working with high school students um, over the summer to work with seven to 14 year olds. And, uh, and the model was really that the high school student um, had as much agency, knowledge, experience to be able to bring to the table as the college student. Um, and it was really youth lifting up youth in very meaningful ways, largely around academics through summer programming, but also being able to explore first times. Like I took youth for the first time um, from the housing development that they were living into um, to the capital that they'd never been to in, in the state of Connecticut or um, taking them on their first trip out of state to go to Philly or to Washington DC to engage in political action. Um, and the power of having youth lift up youth uh, was something that stuck with me and became really the core of what I wanted to make sure that I supported throughout. Um, that youth group leap uh, ended up um, partnering with like the Children's Defense Funds uh, and there's the dog uh, and the Harlem Children's Zone and, uh, and a lot of different efforts. I'm gonna have to move them out. A lot of different efforts so that we could um, really recognize youth power. And, and I just got, uh, I got addicted early on as a youth and then, and then made sure to make sure that everything that I was doing in the nonprofits and the organizations that I worked with really supported really supported youth in that way. Awesome. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, I'll give you a minute. So. <laughs> That's that she from the Bronx, you know, that BX, man. That's that DMX lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> Don't need to close my door. Got the dog. Yep. <laughs> Um, so what are some of the challenges and rewards of the youth development field? Um, and what are what about the rewards have kept you going in the field over the years? I think the biggest challenge that I've seen is adults not believing youth and adults not empowering youth, right? You think about youth development, uh, the nonprofits that pop up. Uh, to be able to really structure community-based efforts where youth are able to be centered in the work and uh, and we're struggling financially, right? There are a lot of youth organizations uh, and youth development organizations that don't have the resources that they need to be able to really um, fulfill their mission or what they're focused on. And, and so we end up bootstrapping a lot of our work and, and, that, and that's tough because um, we're at the, at, the, at the place where youth actually want to spend their time. And the fact that we're kind of starving the field, the youth development field and community-based organizations, youth organizations is not really doing right by youth. So biggest challenge is I think underfunded and undervalued. Uh, and I think that that needs to change. <clears throat> but biggest grace is uh, that we have the ability to overcome that. Uh, there's nothing more powerful than a youth sp speaking speaking to you know hold uh, uh, elected officials uh, other community leaders accountable for what they're doing and uh, and and quite frankly either on the school board or in any kind of uh, leadership position when when a youth sits down with you and tells you what they need and the way in which you're not standing up for them 
or the way that uh, we need to be able to center what they do. It, it just, it, it stops the room, right? It just makes everybody focus. And so um, I'm really looking forward to being able to make sure that that gets elevated in the state assembly um, as, as I have been doing for, for, for the duration of my career. Amazing. Thank you for elaborating a little bit on those challenges, but also the, the great rewards that come with this work. Um, I want to get into a little more specifics about um, the kind of organizations you've worked for and even founded. So I want to start with Lit Lab. What is Lit Lab? How did it get started? And what does it take to be the founder and CEO of an organization? Uh, so Lit Lab, I was started because I went, in, I was at a workshop, I was doing a, an early literacy program, uh, doing workshops for parents to help them figure out how to do like 20 minute read alouds with their little ones, be their parent, be their child's first teacher. And I had a parent come up to me um, and say in Spanish to me, she said, thank you so much for sitting down with me and, and helping me figure out how to read to my kid for 20 minutes. But the honest truth is as soon as I work out of, walk out of this workshop, I'm going to go back into my house. I'm going to try to cook. I'm going to work my second job and I'm going to try to find those 20 minutes and they're not going to happen. Um, and what I really need is for you to be right there with me, but I can't have you there with me because you know, you're not in my home. So I went and that night, like, uh, basically went into my closet, which was my like quiet writing space. Uh, and I wrote this, I call it my like Jerry Maguire memo that's dated, won't mean anything to anybody under, you know, under 40, but, <laughs> but this kind of idea of like, just railing at Google, which is who I wrote the memo to. And I was like, and you know what we need? We need to make sure that kids um, in our community don't have, you know, just 10 books in their home, but they have a thousand books in their home and they're on a tablet so that they can read them. And do you know that if you're actually able to get a four, a four-year-old to be able to um, have exposure to reading, teaching, reading, singing, and, and talking and and all that, that they're more likely to be able to, there's not going to be an achievement gap and just kind of railed on the fact that, um, that our community didn't have enough resources around digital connectivity, didn't have enough resources in terms of access to libraries uh, and the books that they need, didn't have enough resources to be in those quiet moments um, when we could and put my mind uh, through this, uh, uh, memo that I wrote to get money from Google. They were running a Bay, the Bay Area Impact Challenge. Um, after six months of working with my team, uh, they ended up turning around and handing us a $500,000 uh, seed fund check uh, to be able to distribute um, tablets loaded up with eBooks and learning apps to uh, to every childcare center in Oakland. Um, and, and then we went about basically getting tablets in the hands of three, four and five-year-olds in Oakland so that they would have those books that they needed so that they would have the apps and the resources. And so that no parent would basically be like, I don't have what I need to be able to support my child. Um, and that little spin in that time I spent writing in the closet uh, with my co-founder and the the thing that came out of that uh, turned into Lit Lab, and so in 2014 I launched Lit Lab and went from being uh, somebody that had been focused on education to all of a, a sudden being in like the ed tech space, and um, and so stopped having conversations about you know in addition to having conversations about curriculum and. Uh, and family engagement and, and youth involvement started having conversations about UX design and UI design and having conversations with engineers because we were literally building up um, some software uh, and uh, being a founder of something is no joke, right? So that you're sitting there for the first time and you're like, how do I you like figure out workman's comp? How do I figure out how to start payroll? How do I figure out how to um, fundraise for this idea? How do I get people to go from the idea that I have in my head to providing me the fun, the finance, the finances that I need to be able to make this thing uh, a reality? Um, so it was uh, living hand to mouth for a really long time to bootstrap uh, Lit Lab that is still in existence. My co-founder, Laura Reed, 
uh, runs it now, and uh, and we have an app in that you can get in the App Store and Google Play Store. That's for you know up to seven year olds. It basically called Kadapolis that helps them uh, young uh, learners figure out how to use the different apps and uh, and have different learning resources available to them, and gives parents tools that they wouldn't otherwise have. Um, but I say to every single person who can hear me. Um, if you have an idea uh, and you know that you're adding something to this world because you have an experience that has led to a solution that you know needs to be out there, don't take no for an answer. You get told no so many times, so many times, and you just have to have the belief in yourself and the belief in what you're doing and just keep on saying yes to yourself. Every no that you hear, say yes a thousand times to yourself. Uh, and let yourself be that founder, let yourself have that vision that allows you to be able to set something up and, um, and from it, great things will come. Wow, that, that's incredible. Uh, I didn't know Lit Lab entailed so much. Uh, There's a lot of moving parts there. So, I mean, he just gave us the gist of that. I want to get into what Oakland Promise is, what you do for them, and uh, what gives you the passion about this organization? Because I've read a lot about it. So I just want to hear your side of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Oakland Promise is, for me, the job of a lifetime, uh, really and true. I get to work with some phenomenal people, leaders in their own right uh, in Oakland who are of Oakland, um, who are first gens, um, Black, Latino, API, uh, people who have come together to be able to support this idea of a cradle to college to career opportunity where every child in Oakland who has need um, knows that we're making a promise to them to be able to support them towards post-secondary success uh, for the purpose of ensuring that we all have um, economic mobility at the end of the day, right? We don't just want to be able to go to go to high school. We want to graduate from high school. We don't just want to go to post-secondary opportunities, whether that's career technical education, um, uh, a certificate program, going to community college, two-year college, or going to four-year college. We want youth to be able to come out of those experiences with um, with the resources that they need to be able to have a vocation that they can invest in, whether that's being an entrepreneur, whether that's social service, whether that's theology, whether it's um, becoming, you know, going into government, uh, uh, becoming uh, uh, a part of the labor movement, an activist, whatever it may be. Um, at the end of the day, I always say, um, lift a child, lift Oakland. And what Oakland Promise is able to do is ensure that we're helping to get kids on a pathway to post-secondary success, provide scholarships uh, and college savings accounts to help them get there and to link up with the Oakland Unified School District and our school system to ensure that students have the resources to be able to do it. This year, Oakland Promise will graduate, uh, will have 514 scholars graduating from Oakland schools. Uh, who are getting um, uh, a scholarship of, of, of about $1,000 a year uh, to be able to apply to their post-secondary journey. And with that, they'll get a mentor, they'll get an opportunity to have an internship experience, they'll have linked up to a, a peer network experience um, and all the wraparound services so that when we get told no, which still happens in our post-secondary worlds, um, there are people surrounding us who are telling us yes, yes, and right, and you can do this along the way. So it's 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 been a joy to be able to be a part of Oakland Promise. Yeah, I've never heard of Oakland Promise, so it's just you know the details and how you're explaining it. Where we're at, a lot of I don't think it's the kids that don't have the resources; it's the parents not knowing how to find those type of resources. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we're up against. Is uh, as mentors and uh, you know coaches in, in the system. So I definitely want to make sure I get more information so the parents and kids that I'm working with can definitely get their hands on something like this. Thank you Absolutely. for that too. So I was just going to let you know that. Um, this question I've been dying to ask you ever since we set up this interview, okay? And, and I, I really want you to give us a good explanation because no, I asked everybody that I work with this question. So <laughs> what are the roles and responsibilities of an assembly member? Everybody tune in. 
Yeah, so an assembly member is the representative of about uh, 500,000 uh, people in a district. So for this district, AD18, Assembly District 18, uh, the assembly member represents Oakland, Alameda, and San Leandro. Not all of Oakland, there's a sliver kind of in the hills that um, is not a part of the district. And uh, the assembly member is a part of a body of, of people in the state capital um, uh, who are who help to make the legislations, the laws that we then have to abide by in the state of California. They are charged with overseeing the budget of California, approving the budget and kind of coming up with the, um, uh, the legislative priorities associated with that budget uh, that the governor puts out, you know, governor puts out his proposal um, and then the legislature uh, ratifies that. It's a part of two parts of the house. So there's the assembly side, um, which in the federal government, same thing as kind of Congress, um, the representatives, and then there's the other side of the house, which is the Senate. And in, in the federal government, there's the US Senate. So it's basically the state version of the, the House of Legislatures with the Assembly and Senate who come together, um, focus on making the uh, passing laws uh, that govern the state of California and overseeing the budget. Um, and the most important job of an Assembly member is to actually represent well its constituents. So, so that person, uh, and I'm wanting that person to be me, uh, represents our 500,000 uh, people who are a part of Oakland, Alameda, San Leandro. And what that means for me is uh, that we're hearing from and learning about all the kinds of things that we need to do better in this district, uh, hearing about the kinds of needs that we have, the kinds of protections that we have, whether it be around protecting our environment, where, whether it be addressing housing, whether it be addressing our kind of our homelessness, uh, our homelessness experience that we're having right now, uh, education, uh, the gamut, and comes together to really understand what needs to change, uh, and then figures out how to convert those opportunities for change into legislation that will support um, not only the district but the state of California. Well, now I just have a quick follow-up. Uh, considering the fact that your husband has become the attorney general for California, correct? Is that the natural elevation from the position that he was in? Is that what you're chasing as well? Or are you, is this, that was just something that he wanted to do personally? Um, uh, so I've known that guy since he was 17 years old. Uh, we met. Uh, <laughs> we met when we had a teen in front of our in in front of our age. Um, and he, uh, it, I also, I went to, we both went to law school. Um, he practiced for a while. Um, and then he ended up uh, going to the uh, city council and, and then ran for uh, assembly. Uh, I think he has definitely been focused on um, kind of more the specific kind of legal application of, of, what needs to change in, in California. So for him, it was a very natural progression to go from the California state legislature to, um, uh, to, uh, to law, to law enforcement, kind of the executive side of things. It made a lot of sense for him. He is the people's attorney. I'm very proud of him as the, our current uh, California state attorney general. Um, my path was largely, uh, going to law school, coming out of law school, going into the nonprofit sector, more like working in service of our community. And, uh, and for me, the natural, and then joining the school board. So for me, the natural pro progression was, particularly after COVID, um, sitting downstream of all of these laws, right? Like at, at the end of a law is somebody who has to implement that law um, or, who is, or who is subject to that law. And, uh, during COVID, I saw a lot of the ways that we could do better. And, uh, and when he uh, got appointed and the seat came up for me, it was really important to figure out how to be upstream of the moment that we were in, either as a school district or as a nonprofit um, for our community so that I could make sure to be a part of the solutions and the laws that we were crafting that would then impact um, so many um, individuals and nonprofits and and people in our community. Um, so 
definitely the natural progression for me. Um, if you run for assembly and you get elected, you serve a ter two year terms. You can serve up to 12 years. So there would be six cycles of, of, of the state legislature where I would be uh, uh, seeking reelection. Um, and, uh, and that's what I have my eyes set outside, my eyes set on. Uh, I don't really think beyond, um, beyond serving my community in the state legislature. All right, I had a question come through the, the chat here. It's a good one. So I just want to see your head is up with this. Um, they asked uh, who's the candidate you're running against? Uh, why would you be the right person? And what do you bring to the table that stands out as the right candidate? It sounds yeah. like a thing, right? It's here. a great question. Um, there are a lot of people running in this race. There are there are eight other candidates. And so I'm not gonna spend my valuable time talking about those eight other people. <laughs> um, but I will tell you what I see happening right now. Um, uh, one is people don't know that there is a special election happening. And that's troubling to me, kind of given Tony, what we talked about in terms of the importance of what an assembly member does. Um, and I wanna make sure that we all focus on getting out the vote, right? We all need to be able to um, exercise our, um, exercise our vote, our voice by exercising our vote. So if you're taking away one thing from this podcast, make sure that you're talking to three other people, five other people, and get them to vote in the special election. Do your research. Um, make sure that you know about all the other candidates. I get a chance to talk about why, why I want you to vote for me. Um, I have been working on behalf of our community in, in, in this work with children, youth, and families for the better part of my career. I made that decision when I was 13 years old and have been living a vocation of, of, of making sure to do right by my community. And that's given me an opportunity to have a lot of different experiences um, and the touch points, not only around education, but seeing about what, what the kind of impact that has um, on our health status, on our ability to um, be housed and be safe in our housing, uh, our ability to protect our planet and to protect our climate in this moment. Uh, and there's a lot of work to be able to do. Uh, I think the thing that I bring to the table is, um, is experience and, uh, and having the, to be faced with making tough decisions and coming out of the other side of those decisions knowing that I did so by hearing from and working with my community to be able to do that. Um, and I am a kid, I am somebody who knows what it's like to move 13 times in 16 years and experience that kind of um, movement that comes and insecurity that comes with that kind of movement. Uh, I am somebody that sometimes at the end of the month uh, would open up my refrigerator and only see peanut butter and celery there and be told I was on a special diet uh, and knows what it's like to be hungry and to hustle uh, and to have to hustle. I'm somebody who knows what it's like to, you know, have to be told by her mother as I was writing the, 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 the checks for our family at like nine, 10 years old uh, and was given that responsibility. No, today, this, to this week, we're going to pay the rent check, but we're not going to be able to pay our health insurance check um, and don't mind the refrigerator being a little empty today. And I think we need people who have those experiences uh, who also have the ability to translate all of that into legislation and then who also have the experience of working with legislators uh, and understanding the way that they think and how to get laws passed. We need that. Uh, we need that person in the California state legislature and, and that person. Thank you so much. That was an awesome uh, elevator pitch. Maybe we could call it. Um, thank you so much for giving us more information about why um, you are the right person for this position. Um, so we have some youth here on this call that are going to be doing an internship with um, tobacco and substance abuse prevention education this summer um, regarding social justice. So can you speak a little bit to them about pitching their ideas to local officials and creating energy to change policy? This is 
I, I, first of all, I love that you all are spending your time uh, in seeking social justice and being a part of the social justice movement and that you're using all of your talents to be able to make sure that we make that change. Um, the thing that I always find the most powerful is if you just start with your story. Um, you start with the, start with start with your story and start why whatever you're talking about is personal to you and why it needs to be changed. Um, I had a mentor tell me a long time ago, uh, the personal becomes political. And, uh, and if you think about like, I don't know, elected officials and uh, people in authority, they're going about their day, they're having 10 minute conversations to, you know, one moment focused on uh, one moment focused on the environment, the next moment focused on like potholes, the next moment focus on housing. And, and there's a lot of noise at the end of the day that comes up. So you as the advocate and warrior that you are, like your strongest asset is to be able to cut through that noise and actually make it silent for a moment. Like you're in front of these people, they have a lot on their plates, a lot on their agenda. And by you telling a powerful story about what you need them to change, it just cuts it out. Like you, if you ever have that moment of like, I don't know, you have the radio blasting and then all of a sudden you just like turn it off for that second and you have that moment of silence. What you wanna do is use your voice in that moment of silence that you create to make them need to be compelled to listen to you and then to, to be on your side and then get to the point of being like, I'm, I love you so much in the story that you just shared. Uh, and it's in my heart that I'm going to be your best advocate for making sure that I can be with you to make the change that you seek. Um, it's the most powerful part of who we are, our, our voice and our story. Awesome, thank you so much for talking about that. <clears throat> I hope the young people on this call are really taking in this amazing information and taking in your story that you've been sharing with us. We really appreciate it. Um, next, I wanna ask a little bit more about some of the challenges and barriers that you faced to get to this point um, in your career. Um, we've heard about kind of some personal challenges growing up and I can only assume that there have been a lot of professional challenges um, in the political world or even the nonprofit world as a woman and a woman of color. Um, so if you could talk about those, that would be awesome. Sure. Um, I think I had a lot going for me because I had the experience of a mother and a father who told me to not be okay with being told no. Uh, and, and so when in my professional career, uh, whenever I had a good idea and somebody would kind of like literally come and like pat me on the head and say, oh, that's that just that youth, that youth energy, youthful energy, and try to dismiss me, I would hear their no, because that's a no. Uh, and I would just be like, okay, I'm going to tell it to the next person. So I think along the way, uh, the challenges are always, you get told to no a lot. And uh, in, in whatever it is, like going for a job promotion, going for yeah, a, a new job, trying to enter into a field uh, that you want to be into, um, uh, pitching an idea in your organization and having people not really attend to it very well. In all those instances, like all, what I did and relied on was just I put my head down, I did the work, uh, I demonstrated value. And, um, and I made sure that uh, even in those moments where I was being told no, um, that I also knew that that no meant no, just not right now. And I held on to the not just right now and bided my time and I was patient and I just came back to that idea. And I think that allowed me to be able to um, be clear about my value and be clear about uh, wh what contribution I was able to make. And then I think it was also just being hungry. Like it's fine to be able to, um, to be able to, to find opportunities for yourself. Uh, I heard a statistic that youth today uh, will have 10 different careers in their lifetime. 
not jobs. Like I had 10 different, probably if I count them all up, 10 different jobs, but it was always in youth development, always kind of in the youth serving sector, um, one career. But to think 10 different careers, that means that you all are going from like being in the fashion industry to deciding to go into tech, to go into um, building and trades. And uh, and that is like, that blows my mind because you got to pick up a core set of skills along the way that will serve you in any of those career changes. Um, and it also means that, uh, that, that you'll walk with your feet, right? You'll find different ways to be able to be inspired, uh, to be able to give back to your community. Um, if I don't leave you all with one thing, I'm really hoping uh, that you all dedicate yourself to um, having at least one of those careers be a career of service to your community. Um, it it just pays off in dividends. It, it's it's the thing that keeps on giving when you know that you're lifting up other people, that you're connected to other people, and the the nine to five or the in some cases the eight to twelve, whatever it is that you're kind of putting out there and giving everything that you have. Like at the end of the day, all we have is our time. You know, all we have is our time. It's it's the thing that we can't reproduce. Uh, it is a thing that is scarce. And so you want to make sure that every single moment of your day is spent uh, in a vocation and a passion um, that you believe in uh, and that you find the service in whatever it is that you do. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, that's, uh, that's very touching because I was I was part of the destruction of my community. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of people don't embrace that. Uh, now I'm part of rebuilding and trying to keep it strong. So mm -hmm. I appreciate what you said. Yeah. Now, as mentors ourselves, we are always interested in the role that mentorship has had in our guest lives. Did you have the guidance of a mentor at any point throughout your adolescence or early adulthood that helped guide you to your success? So many mentors, so many people who were willing to just wrap their arms around me and lend of their time and uh, of their love and see me through some dark moments and bring bright lights with them. So um so yes, I, mentoring is uh, a really important part of it's, you know, a big part of what Oakland Promise does. It's a big part of what I've been able to do. And yeah, I um, first mentor and and they come in all kinds of forms. Uh, first mentor I had didn't know her name. I was on the verge of thinking about dropping out of college because I was having, you know, a couple of tough weeks and missing home. And she just saw me. Um, I was walking into a gospel choir rehearsal, a singing group rehearsal, and she just saw the look on my face and she just opened up her arms and she said, I don't know what's going on with you, sweetheart, um, but I know that you need this hug right now. And, um, and, uh, and whatever, and I want this hug to sustain you uh, beyond this moment. And uh, her name was Miss Alberta. And uh, and she ended up being somebody that stayed in my life for a little while, but she was a mentor that I needed in that moment. Um, I've had a lot of mentors in my work world. Um, Rudy Crew, who was the superintendent chancellor of uh, New York schools, who uh, you know, attended to just making sure that he was lifting up somebody who was early on in her career, who's been with me, Eleanor Clement Glass, who was at the San Francisco Foundation. Um, I have a kitchen cabinet full of, of, of people who have been uh, supportive of me along the way. Um, and I've been mentored by youth. Um, uh, uh, some who are probably here, like uh, Jessica Ramos, who's a part of Oakland um, uh, Youth Council, and Lily Conable, um, so many youth activists of Alameda here um, and in Oakland. and. And so mentorship is not about like somebody being older than you. It's about somebody being able to offer an experience uh, and uh, and tap into something that you need in, in that moment and is able to provide that in a loving and trusted way and who is willing to invest in who you are um, for a moment or for a lifetime. So absolutely. 
Thank you so much. Um, so I have a, a question. A lot of people are kind of feeling the heat and are possibly really mentally drained due to this last year and the pandemic, everything that's been going on. So what are some resources that you could possibly share or places for people to go who may be in crisis? Uh, I think one is, oh, tone's frozen. Um, I think Absolutely. Like this is a, a crazy time right now. Um, I think one place that I would hope that everybody turns to is uh, their family support. And by that, I mean either your blood family or the family that you comes to you uh, that supports you in life. Uh, I've been working with a lot of youth right now who have been suffering in silence uh, and, and, it was sitting in there in their systems of support suffering in silence and so the first thing i encourage you all to do is just talk about it like talk about um you, you know find the words use the words find the tears uh, to be able to just let it out and 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 say that you need help uh right now um yeah i think we're just ending the this the, the school year, there's obviously school resources that we have the ability to tap into. Um, but uh, so that would be another place. And then I think that there are so many different organizations like uh, like Oakland Promise or East Oakland Youth Development, uh, EOIDC, or um, a lot of kind of mental health services that are available to people. Um, and oddly, like because of the connectivity piece, I think that there's a lot um, virtually that you can get. Um, uh, Care Solace is one that I think you can call up and just get somebody to talk with, uh, uh, which I think is important um, in Alameda, uh, the County of Alameda, Alameda Family Services uh, turns out to be a good place. Um, our faith-based leaders, uh, don't forget that those people are with us and uh, and guide us in so many different ways uh, and, and are there to be able to support us. So turn to Turn to your faith and turn to your faith to your faith leaders to be able to lean on and get the support that you need. Um, so those are some places I think that you can focus on. Uh, thank you so much for that. But right now we have a little bit of time left, so I want to open up the floor to anybody that may have a question for the lovely Miss Mia Bonta. Actually, I know a couple guys right now. I can see their their minds, the neurons firing right now. I'm gonna shoot at Rob. Rob, come off that mic, man. We don't do dead air. Come on. Hello. Thanks, Mia, for being here. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, we've got students who are involved in uh, government as well. And um, would you suggest some kind of a club that we could organize and put together? So that be coming down to city council and making presentations and to the school board. Um, and would you suggest, a, is there a training resource that we could use? I think um, I've had the ability to work a little bit with the Martin Luther King uh, Junior Center. Uh, and I really like what they do there because they spend some time, um, uh, they spend some time developing out like the power of voice and how to use your voice. So you spend some time doing readings, connecting to the civil rights movement as well, uh, thinking about the issues that you wanna be able to focus in on and change and then finding and converting that into your voice or what you need to be able to do. So it feels like a very kind of a coordinated program. Um, uh, there's certainly like um, uh, a lot of uh, youth organizations like Courage, um, uh, Youth in Action, Homie, who are all homies in action um, who are all really strong youth activist groups as well um, that are, have organized a lot um, to be able to support um, to support student activism so those might be others it doesn't take I think it just takes people coming together consistently um, you know five people who are willing to come together meet uh, think about and talk about the issues that they want to change uh, putting together those stories and then learning about the basics of, you know, offering public comment, following the city council agenda. So, you know, when your issue is going to be able to come up, um, not being afraid to put, you know, put up your hand to be able to speak for two minutes and then just let it out. It doesn't have to come out pretty the first time. Uh, 
or ever. It just needs to be said and and then just to have the practice of keeping at it um, over time. So I think that would be an awesome thing to do, particularly in the summer right now. Oakland City Council is making a lot of decisions about its budget, for instance. Um, we should have a say in that. Yeah, they are making a lot of decisions with that budget, aren't they? Uh, we won't get into that, though. <laughs> I have a question from the chat room. Um, they want to know where we can pick up some signs or something to promote, you know, you coming up and let people know to go vote for you. Um, uh, feel free to, um, sorry, I missed the question. My daughter's here asking me a question about schoolwork. What was it? Oh, that's okay. Uh, they want to know where they can pick up like a yard sign or something. Oh, like totally. Okay. So I hear, I see Rowena Brown on the line here. We can put in the chat, but basically the easiest way, she's my campaign manager, phenomenal woman. Um, the easiest way is to go to uh, miabonta.com, M-I-A-B-O-N-T-A.com. And uh, you can sign up to uh, just get more information about my race or um to uh or to volunteer uh and we also have internships and volunteer opportunities uh rowena's putting in the chat uh, email volunteer at miabanta.com and uh and those are always to be able to get involved uh, uh i love the energy that comes with campaigning they're fun you make like a a set of friends real quick uh, and they're for people who are shy, people who are extroverted, um, people who like doing data and spreadsheets, people who like knocking on doors, phone calling, texting, uh, whatever. As a volunteer, there's always a way to be able to find a role in a, in a campaign. And Rowena's putting in the chat that this Saturday, June 5th at 10 a.m., uh, we're having a huge um, uh, action where we're getting people to walk and talk uh, at 1241 High Street. So come on down and, and join us. Thank you for that. Dwayne, anybody else on the floor that has a question for uh, Mia while we have her? Because this is a blessing right now. This is something big for us, uh, especially for me and Maggie. We've been doing this for over a year now. I still haven't met Maggie in person. <laughs> a podcast literally for an entire year. <laughs> so I love that. Is, I love it. I'd like to I'd like to compliment you and ask you kind of a question. Coming from humble beginnings like you have, do you, you must run across people who are privileged and like how do you diplomatically mix with that your 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 centeredness, but they're almost trying to keep you out because of their their degrees and, and how their life was. And uh, what what's the best thing that kept kept you going? I think uh, thanks for that question. I don't I haven't gotten asked that question too often, but um, what I learned early on is because I was around a lot of a lot of people with privilege, a lot of people with white privilege, um, very early on in my life and throughout my life, and what I learned is that it's very cliche, but money does not buy you happiness. I met a lot of people who had a lot of money, but were the most unhappy people <laughs> I've ever met in my life. Uh, and, uh, and so I quickly remembered the, the, the wealth and the riches that I had in my, in my background, in the fact that I am proud to be a Black Latina, that I am proud to be somebody who come, came from activist parents who you know, gave up their time and their lives and added to the wealth of our, of our community. Um, I'm proud to have a, a grandmother who gave me batteries one Christmas because that's all she could give me, but, you know, said to me every single day, make sure that you get an education. Like there's so much wealth that we have by just who we are. And whenever I was being told no by those people who had white privilege or economic privilege. I just kind of just did that because I knew that I was far wealthier than, than, than those people who had the audacity to try to demean me for who I was um, as, as a woman, as a, as a woman of color, um, or as a woman who came from an experience of poverty. And so just, you know, get the steel in your spine, hold it there, and you know every every eye that looks down at you, um, you look up at, back at them with your with your chin high up in the air and and don't take no for an answer. 
Amen. I always say, don't look down at nobody unless you're helping them up. Uh, that's my favorite quotes. You know, I can't do that. So, Miss Maggie, anybody else on the floor got anything to say? Got a question? Because she might be sitting. She might Tone, you went on mute, but this was a, that was a great interview. Mia, uh, you inspired me just like um, what you're doing, all the community work that you've done and the things that you just spoke about. And just uh, like I told you at the park on Saturday, on Sunday, like I felt like an airhead, like you sent me this email last year from the Oakland Promise and Speaking. And I didn't, it didn't even dawn on me that this was Mia Bonta who's running for <laughs> assembly and I read the letter when I was doing my own research and I'm like, oh snaps. And I sent it to Maggie and Tone. And so uh, you're definitely an inspiration, diamond in the rough. And uh, I'm rooting for you. And so thanks for coming on our podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been a pleasure. And I'll turn it back over to Maggie and Tone. Maggie. Yeah, I just want to also thank you so much for your time and your passion and expertise. And yeah, this has been an inspiration. I'm glad we got some young people on the call. Um, hopefully kind of kickstart their, their energy and inspiration for the summer program. So yeah, just thank you again so much for your time and wisdom. And thanks for putting together people who haven't met each other in person, but putting together a powerful voice for uh, in, in the format of this podcast to be able to get the word out about really important issues and people. So thank you. We do. We do appreciate that. Yeah. So everybody get snaps to Miss Mia Bonta and get your get snaps up there. You know, we got to vote her in, got to get her in there. So that's seed. And then she's going to take her husband's spot hopefully in a few years. I'll be there to gloat for you. <laughs> but uh, like I said, we appreciate your time today. And now, is there anything you would like to promote before we close? Uh, we got usually give our guests a 30-second spot, so here it is. Uh, I'm Mia Bonta. I'm running for California State Assembly to proudly represent Alameda, Oakland, and San Leandro, and hope that you will be inspired to follow the movement that will allow our voices to be heard. I'll be proudly uh, the first Black, one of the uh, only Black Latinas north in Northern California representing um, in, in this California State Assembly and really hope that you'll consider voting for me on June 29th in this primary. Uh, thanks so much. Great to be with you all. The team at We The Scenario approved this message. I've always wanted to do that. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> so as always, we are so thankful to share the space with you all. You can find us on Uh-oh, Tone, you froze. Okay, I got you with the outro. So um, again, as always, we're so it thankful. Froze, it? It, it froze, froze. It froze. <laughs> it froze. It froze. Gotta love the internet. Well, we were doing the outro, and we'll correct it in post-production. Again, thank everyone for coming. Catch us on Apple, Spotify, or Inc. Oh, can I say something real quick? Go ahead, brother. Oh, uh, I was listening to your uh Steph, it was like real powerful and I'm proud of you. And I was also gonna say if you need like a saucy little graphic to make to advertise for you so you can, you know, get a hundred percent in there, you know, I got you and I it'll be free of charge. <laughs> leave your email. Give us your email. Yeah, leave your email. I got you. I'm I'm driving right now, so I'm gonna uh, send it when I pull over. All right, thank you. Is it Makai? Yep. All right, Makai, we got you. For sure. Thanks for that offer. You just got another team, Miss Mia. You got a whole other team. Yeah. Thank you. All righty. All right. Thank you again. I'm sorry for the freezing. Thank no you. No problem. Thanks, Tone. Appreciate Thanks, Maggie. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Cut that, Dwayne. Post production is going to be fun on this one. <laughs>